Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 15 of the Harry Potter Lexicon podcast. Um, this is being recorded on June the 18th, 2015. My name is Steve Vanderark. I'm the creator and editor-in-chief of the Harry Potter Lexicon website, and I am starting a new series of Lexicon podcasts. Um, this is series two, I guess, if you're going to follow the, the convention. Um, this series, the first series, we were talking about the books and um, kind of going through the entire series of books and looking at the way that uh, the plot develops, particularly focusing on how Harry changes as he goes through the books. The first part um, being the books one, two, three, four, and that's the building up of Harry as sort of a superhero kind of a character. He fights dragons, and he's going to—he's becoming stronger, and he thinks he's pretty awesome. And then uh, book five comes along, and it totally trashes that image he has of himself. Takes away all of what he thinks is his, are his strengths and um, kind of molds him at the end. He's he's left kind of ranting and raving and comes out of it in part through the, um, uh, the, the almost the, um, the, the spiritual approach of Luna and of also all of his friends around him as, as he kind of changes and, and starts working his way into this new character, which in book six... He, uh, he he kind of that becomes this new character. Even even sort of Quidditch falls by the wayside in book six, and he then becomes this this person who can use um, a non-violent spell, Expelliarmus, in the end to defeat Voldemort, rather than becoming a hero who fights with like, with superpower strengths and all of this. He instead stands there and talks to Voldemort and wins by using a. Uh, a, a nonviolent spell. So that, that that's how we talked about the first the series of books. Um, now we're going to start looking at things a little differently. We're going to start looking at the character, a particular character, besides Harry in this case, and just kind of look at that character and how that how a character changes through the course of the books. Um, and the character that we're going to be dealing with uh, first of all is one of the most important characters in the book. I would say almost as important as Harry himself and that is the character of Severus Snape. And so today we're going to talk about Snape, uh, and we're going to start out with a quote. This is a quote uh, that Rowling said in an interview she did with uh, the Leaky Cauldron and MuggleNet. Uh, the question was, has Snake, Snake, oh man, has Snape ever been loved by anyone? And Rowling's response was, yes, he has, which in some ways makes him more culpable even than Voldemort, who never has. Well, that's an interesting quote. We'll think about that a little bit. But before we do that, I thought maybe we'd talk just for a minute about what's going on in Harry Potter fandom, because it has been uh, well over a year since the last podcast, and a lot has changed. You know, it's funny. Uh, when Book 7 came out, um, uh, that was kind of, it felt like, okay, this is the end of, of the Harry Potter era, and... Uh, and, and it's the end of the stories, and there will be no more. And she gave all these interviews, which basically uh, shut down all fan theories and basically took away all the what's going to happen next ideas and just sort of laid it all out. This is it. This is the story. It's all done. And most of us at that time kind of had a feeling like, well, uh, there's not going to be anything else. No more canon. No more uh, No more to the Harry Potter universe. What we have is what we have. And, uh, and and that was why, as a matter of fact, at the end of that, we sort of finished up the Lexicon website with the team that we had. Uh, Lisa finished up with all of the character uh, entries, and uh, John did uh, kind of finished up the, the the Gazetteer and all of the things that were in there. And basically, at that point, things really settled down. Um, 
we we sort of figured we had it all then, and we were just kind of kind of wrap it all up. Well, it turns out we were wrong. Uh, there's been an awful lot of new things happening. On this, it's in the past, you know, eight years we've had the development of the theme park. Um, we've had uh, the, the the original rolling website is now um, Pottermore, which has a lot of new canon in it. Well, not as much as we'd like, uh, but it does have a lot of new canon. Uh, one thing on that, I mean, I would have to say that uh, I would I really hope that they start adding a lot more. Um, canon information they just recently put in a new timeline feature for example uh, it's if you're on the main map look for history of magic and click on that which i got excited i thought oh fantastic we're going to see the timeline um and as it turns out it's, it's it's great it's nice but basically what it is is it's all of the famous wizard card information that we've had since 2001 uh, with a few ads odds and ends that got added with some later things through um the EA games and a couple things from Rolling's website, but it's all stuff that we had before. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, boy, I would like to see them start adding some new things. And in the case of the timeline that they put in, there were there were some errors in there. For, for example, two different people are listed as having discovered the use of gillyweed. You know, so there are things which could have used some some editing. Uh, I, I I hope that on Pottermore that they're actually going to be looking at. At, at improving those things and adding to those things and editing those things. Don't just take what was already there and just throw it back out there because some of it needs a little bit of work. Um, and uh, and so I would hope that that's what they're eventually going to do. Um, so so obviously, but Pottermore still, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I love Pottermore. I'd love to look at each of these illustrations because it, it's a window into canon because each of these is approved by Rowling to be uh, the, you know what what she really wants it to look like, and in many cases it doesn't look like the films at all. But what's really cool is that if you study, you know, like exactly where things are and how things are described in the books, uh, as as some fans, including me, have done, then when you look at these pictures on Pottermore, that's what you're seeing. You are seeing things that look exactly the way they're described in the books, even though they did not do that for the film, which, again, film is, you know, uh, is is another artist's interpretation. It's another fan fiction version. It's another fan artist creating their their imagining of what the universe looks like, but it's not Rowling's picture. And so when we look at, at Pottermore, we see Rowling's picture of what, uh, of what, Harry Potter's world looks like. So, so I find it endlessly fascinating. I go in and I can look at scenes. If I'm doing research, for example, uh, I'm busy still. Eh, I don't know how many years I'm going to be doing this. Hopefully get it done in the next few months, actually, working on the book for Ch- uh, Chamber of, of Secrets uh, for the Reader's Guide. And and uh, one of the things I do is I go through Pottermore and look at the pictures. I'm not just going to, you know, just read the, the information because, frankly, most of that information is, you know, straight out of the book and it's pretty rudimentary, but um, I'll look at the pictures just to get a sense of, of what's going on and, and what what the, what canon really looks like, which is what I think is so much fun about Pottermore. Um, w- one thing I noticed, though, is that Pottermore is changing. I, I don't know if everybody else has noticed this, too, but this is 2015. We've got uh, another year and a half or so before Fantastic Beasts comes out, and I'm hoping that they finish up, you know, the last book before then. But did you notice, I mean, in for Philosopher's Stone, there are 43 moments. That's those scenes on Pottermore. There are 43 of them. Half-Blood Prince has 12. Uh, something is not, 
I, I don't know whether whether they're they're losing some of their ambition or hopefully they're just sort of wanting to get at least the basics down and then they can add to it later. That's what I'm hoping for. But uh, I really really hope that they're not sort of uh, shifting gears away from all of that. You know the, that wonderful canon information that we had, those pictures and those scenes, and kind of taking us into the books. Because, man, I'll tell you, Half Blood Prince is a longer book than Philosopher's Stone, and it really deserves to have um, some more some more scenes than that. Um, but aside from that, they've they've also recently taken out a lot of what you might call this the the social aspect. And I'll be honest with you, that sounds perfectly fine to me. I, I really didn't care that much about the chat and uh, people uploading their, their pictures and things. For one thing, uh, and this is something I've noticed, a lot of people, as fans nowadays, are, have a real problem distinguishing between uh, the films. And, and, and I'm not going to go off on my on my you know rant about films not being canon. That's not my point. My point is that I will see a picture of Rupert Grint with the with the caption that says Ron Weasley. Well, I, I, I understand he played that part, but Rupert Grint is not Ron Weasley. You know, Emma Watson is an amazing person. I mean, pay attention to what she's doing with her life. She's she's a fantastic role model, wonderful, wonderful person. She's not Hermione. And, and and not only is she not Hermione, she doesn't even look like the Hermione of the books, okay? I mean, and again, this is not a rant about canon. What I'm saying is... Don't get the two mixed up. I love what Emma Watson is doing, and I think she's an amazing person. And I think that it, it's worth following her tweets. It's worth paying attention to what she says, but not because she's Hermione, but because she's Emma Watson. Um, the same thing can be said for Daniel and for for Rupert and for all these characters. They those those characters are not. Excuse me. Those actors are not those characters. And so if I see artwork, which is just a picture of you know uh, Rupert Grint from the film being being Ron, I, I'm only, you know, mildly interested. I want to see somebody else's vision. Because that's what we had before there were films. We, we When we read the books originally, back before 2001, we had to imagine this stuff. It, it, it We didn't have any pictures. Oh, no, okay, granted, we had pictures on the fronts of the books and things like this, but um, they were they were fairly generic. And, and our vision, our picture for what was going on in these stories was not those actors, was not the model that they built of Hogwarts for the film. That That isn't the way I imagined Hogwarts looking. I mean, it was cool. I have nothing against it, but that wasn't my vision. But the sad thing is I can't really remember my vision anymore. My imagination kind of got washed away in all of the film stuff. And I understand that's what happens to, to to all of us. I mean, that's why fans draw pictures that look like the films. But man, I love it when I see artwork that's not a, a picture of, you know, those actors. It's not a picture of, of from the film, but it's somebody else's, you know, vision trying to come up with what is it, what does it look like in my mind? Because that's valid. That's, that's good stuff. And so, um, Boy, am I getting off on a tangent here. I guess so. Um, but I guess when it comes down to it, with with Pottermore, I hope that, they, that the fact that they're moving away from the social part and pick people uploading their pictures of Emma Watson and Daniel Radcliffe and and, uh, and the, 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 the movie version of Dobby and all this kind of stuff, I'm all right with that. I, I, it doesn't bother me in the least. I, I'm much more interested in what you know what Rowling has to contribute to that than, than what everybody else does. I don't have anything against 
fans, I mean, fans are some of the most amazing creative people in the history of the universe, but, <clears throat> I mean, Harry Potter fans specifically, but, um, but you know, I, I, I go elsewhere to find fan stuff. I, if I go to Pottermore, I want to see Rowling's vision. That's, that's what I want to see. So that doesn't bother me that they took that stuff out. And I'm interested, now that we see the timeline, I'm, I, I would like to see that expanded. I'd like to see it added to... I mean, the the original timeline of the Harry Potter universe was written by me back in, I think, 2000, 2001, right after uh, the, the the school books came out. It was when I put those together, which I think was 2001, and that's when I put the original timeline together, which showed up on the Lexicon website. And, I mean, that timeline has been just growing ever since and, and has been used. I mean, you know, Warner used it on the on the DVD. Uh, so if you go to the DVD of the of the films, you'll find a timeline on the early ones, and that, that was that was the same one that was on the lexicon. They used mine, uh, so that was that was that was exciting to me to see all of this new information. And part of it does come from the famous wizard cards, but there's so much more to that timeline. And why? I, I love the idea of why why this this part of human history is included in the Harry Potter timeline. Why does Rowling include ancient Egyptian wizards? Why does she include so many ancient Greek wizards? Well, you know, you can talk about why that would be, what was going on magic-wise back then, but a lot of it, I think, has to do with what was going on culturally with literature and fable and, and myth because a lot of what she's borrowing from all through the series has been fable and myth and story from all over the world and so it makes sense that her timeline her her, her Harry Potter timeline is going to include uh, a lot of things particularly from um, from from those parts of history so yeah, things like that are just great fun and I'd love to see her do some more with that and add more details to that timeline and maybe put some things into there which we have not already been told about I mean we already knew that one now give us something else something that we didn't know that's what happens when she gives all kinds of information for example about past ministers for magic I mean oh what wonderful stuff all of a sudden we get all this new history and that, that that's the kind of timeline stuff that I think is so much fun so I hope that that somewhere along the line maybe gets added in as well where we start seeing some of that put into a timeline because it's one thing to read it in prose but it's kind of fun to take that and see it all lined up and then put put it in the t- context of human history I mean, for example, you're talking about the the Minister for Magic, for example, the ones who created and, and, and borrowed, if you will, a muggle train in order to allow uh, the students to be able to travel to Hogwarts. Well, you know, that all ties right in with the development of railroads in Britain and the, you know, the Iron Age, if you will, and all this kind of stuff that's going on, the, the, the Industrial Revolution changing, you know, the countryside with the, as the, as the, the railroads began connecting up towns and things like this. <clears throat> well, that also connects right in with the story then, which I think is just really fun um, to look at and to kind of kind of line those up and and see what that looks like. So I'm hoping that uh, this is like the very first step into a lot of that new canon and and, and things like that. Of course, we have the theme parks as well. Um, the Diagon Alley just opened last summer. Uh, at Universal Studios Florida. I have not been. I've not been to, to Universal Studios since any of the Harry Potter stuff got there. I'd really love to go. Of course, I, and again, no rant intended, but you know how, for me, 
what's exciting is the books and the world of the books, and those seem to be celebrations of the world of the film, which I don't have a problem with because I love the films. I love them. I love them. I love them. And I would love to go and immerse myself in that world. I think it would be awesome, especially because I do know that, you know, obviously Rowling was, was involved to a large extent with that. Um, but what we don't know, this is what's tough. We don't know exactly where Rowling's influence is and where that lets off, and it's now in the hands of, you know, Stuart Craig and set designers and the Universal's, you know, studio's equivalent of Imagineers over at Disney. Um, you know, where where is where is there, where is where does that input kind of cross over? I I really don't know, uh, which makes it tough because obviously I would like to catalog every single detail that I see. Uh, and so I, that's that's going to be a little bit of a problem with the with the Fantastic Beasts film too because it's in a slightly different category than um than the than the films based on the novels because Rowling wrote the screenplay. So how much how much of it is her and then how much of it is going to be added by someone else? It's really tough to know. Um and a lot of people couldn't care less. I realize that, but you know, that's me. That's the way <laughs> that's what's important and exciting to me. Uh, and, you know, I have noticed a huge change in fandom. And I don't know if this is a really a huge change or I'm just looking in the wrong places. But um, before the ending of the series, the whole focus on fandom was what is going to be coming next. Uh, you know, looking at the books, analyzing the books, guessing, uh, theorizing, coming up with ideas. And Rowling, of course, encouraged that in the way that she wrote, in the way that she spoke, you know, as the books were coming out. She encouraged us to, to just really try to figure things out. And Well, you know, after book seven and after the movies, uh, that kind of disappeared. There, there wasn't speculation to be had anymore because she pretty much put the kibosh on all of that she she pretty much answered everything and whatever she didn't she keeps slipping in here and there like she just tweeted recently the the full name of of Myrtle Moaning Myrtle which is Myrtle Elizabeth Warren which is you know those are those little tidbits that just fill in those tiny little holes in canon but the problem is fandom used to be all about those kinds of discussions and maybe they're still going on I don't know but I don't see them. What I see when I'm online basically are people you know, posting pictures of Emma Watson and Daniel Radcliffe and um, coming up with little short little ideas of what they think happened here and so. But it's not it's not it posed in the question of let's have a discussion. It's just you know this is hey this is my my little idea. Throw it out there and be done with it. It, it just feels different, which. You know, I I realize that there has always been that aspect of fandom. There, you know, there are always been fans who that's what they're interested in, which is great. I don't care what kind of fandom you're interested in. I don't care what part of it you're. I just glad we're all Harry Potter fans. But I miss those discussions and those conversations, and so um, which is kind of what we still try to do at the Lexicon. And as a matter of fact, on Google Plus, which is really where I spend most of my social media time um i've been uh i started a collection there collection is an interesting new feature they have on google plus which is kind of like a it's there's almost a pinteresty quality to it you can collect things from the web and so and you can can put them into your collection and so people can uh, can follow that collection and they'll see the things that you post there um it's kind of like a group but it's really kind of a way to 
um, categorize what you're posting and what you're finding so that people who want to pay attention want to follow what you're what you're doing can follow what you you know only one particular category so anyway I started a collection called the Harry Potter lexicon and I used to have I still do I guess have a community on there which is kind of the same thing but I've been looking around on the web trying to put things into this collection and of course being the lexicon I've been looking for things which are specifically canon-based, not movie-based, not, uh, you know, what's Emma Watson doing these days or what's Joe Rowling doing with her other books that she's writing or, you know, those those aren't, that's not the things I'm talking about. I'm talking about the canon, the canon Harry Potter universe. And it's been really hard to find things. I've posted some things myself, of course, because I've got piles of this stuff, but... Um, uh, it's really hard when I'm looking around on the internet and reading things. It's I don't really find a lot of stuff which is canon-based. And so I keep my eyes open, but if you happen to see something really good, I mean, get on Google+, Plus, share it with me, and I'll put it on there because I would love to, to just make a nice collection of some really good canon discussions. Uh, like, <laughs> this is going to sound terrible, like the old days. So... If that's something that interests you, head over there uh, to uh, uh, the Harry Potter Lexicon group over there and, and uh, join in, uh, read what's there, add your own two, two cents. There's some really smart people on there who really been coming up with some really fun theories and ideas and concepts, which is a lot of fun. Um, let's talk about Severus Snape. Um, like I said... Snape is probably one of the most important characters in the book. I would say he is as important, almost, almost as important as Harry. Um, you could you you could almost imagine the series being called Severus Snape and the Philosopher's Stone and Severus Snape and the Chamber of Secrets. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, you know, he didn't really go after the stone. That's true. But what I'm saying, I guess, is that you could call the books that because he is. We're almost seeing the Severus Snape story through the eyes of Harry Potter. Almost, it's almost like Severus Snape is who the books are actually about. He's actually the the one whose whose life is being shared with us, but through the lens of Harry Potter. Um, now you could you could argue that that's not at all the case that Harry is of course the main character Harry is the one who is the one who is the chosen one etc and I, okay grant you you are correct however without Snape there's no story and you couldn't necessarily say that about a lot of the characters but without Snape there's no story now I, I remember I was at um, Prophecy, which was one of the conventions, it was in um, that was the one in Vegas, I believe, and I was going to speak uh, at that one, and I put myself down as speaking about Snape, and a thousand people turned up to hear about Snape. Okay, and and, and it, Snape draws like nothing else. Snape is is probably uh, one of the, one of not just is he important in the story, but he's very important for fans. Fans are Snape fans, which is I think you know Rowling would probably say, don't be a fan of Snape. He's not good. He's brave. She's very clear on that, but he's not good. He's not. And I think this is important because it's, sometimes when I see online, I really don't think people get this. Okay, that sounded a little bit weird, but. I, you know, it's easy to mis- make the mistake of thinking that Snape is actually this wonderful, po- you know, great character, and he's just misunderstood. He's just, you know, we just don't understand what he's going through, and he's suffering, and all this kind of thing. No, that's not true. He's not 
just misunderstood. He is a despicable character. He is horrible. I mean, he has serious psychological problems. I mean, he's he's a danger to himself and to other people. I mean, okay, now that I've said that, he is to a point. And I think that is kind of what I want to talk about here. I think we see things happen to the Snape character kind of like we see to the Harry character. Harry changes in book five. Book five is the crucible, is the is the change book, is the one where he has to suffer to come out the other end to be a different person. And I see some reflection of that in the Snape character. I see Snape kind of going through the same transition. No, okay, that's saying it wrong, because he doesn't turn into the same thing, from the same thing. But he undergoes a transition in the course of the series where he changes from what was going on here through the crucible, through the suffering, through this horrible moment where he suddenly becomes a new person. I, You know, it's funny because there are similarities between Snape and Umbridge. And and this is just... If you see Snape, if you look at the character of Snape with and, and get out of your head the idea that he's oh, the bravest man that Harry ever knew, and that he's really, you know, working for Dumbledore and suffering because he was, you know, he, because of Lily and all this kind of... Just get rid of that. Just look at him. Um, and, you it, you know, Umbridge crammed all of Snake's badness... Snake? I called him Snake again. My goodness me. All of Snape's badness crammed all of that into one school year. We get Umbridge... And we've got all of the meanness, all of the problem, all of the bad teaching, all of this stuff, which you see with Snape all the way through. All of that stuff we get crammed into one year, which is why Umbridge is such a horrible, horrible character. She's one of the worst characters. I love it. I mean, she's fantastic, but she's just horrible. The difference, of course, being that she's very one-dimensional. When it comes right down to it, she does not have the other side of her that Snape does, which is what what saves him from not being umbrage. Um, but, but, but the point is, what saves Snape is not that he loved Lily. Because he didn't. And she did not love him. And, and, and that right there, I think, is key. If you think back to that quote that I said at the beginning, Rowling said that, you know, uh, was, was he ever loved? And as she put it, Yes, he has been loved by anyone. Yes, he has, which in some ways makes him more culpable even than Voldemort, who never has. Okay, So he has been loved by someone, and that makes him more culpable, more blamable, more to be blamed. What an interesting statement. So he's more to be blamed for what? Very, very interesting. This is one of these things which I don't have the answer for. And... I it just I, I, I I've tried to struggle with it. I threw this this quote out online and some as I said, very, very smart people were talking about it. And that was one of the questions that came up. Culpable of what? Guilty of what? And that's an interesting concept. And and, and some would say, Oh, but he's truly been loved. Well that must be Lily, because if you if you read online you would swear that their love is the most undying, beautiful image of true love there ever was. Oh, it is not. Oh, for goodness sakes. I mean, that's like that's like thinking that, that the two characters in Titanic show this amazing romantic love. They just met. 
Okay? They're as much in love as, as two Disney characters are who just meet, fall in love, and live happily ever after. No, that, you know, that's not love. And Snape did not love Lily, and she didn't love him. Doesn't mean that she didn't love him platonically as a friend. That's not what I'm saying. But there's, there's not a romantic love there. And, and I don't think that Snape even knew how to have, really, even have, have a, a friendly love. I mean, if you think about it, his, his affection for Lily, or his, his obsession, really, was not such that he knew how to be her friend. Not truly. I mean, think about it. If she was really, to him, what he thinks, he, he, what the name that he put on it, this love of her, this this always, I will always love her. That's the way he looked at it. He, that's a word that he is attaching to something, but he doesn't know what that means. If you think back to what his childhood was like, he he has no idea what love really is. He has no picture of that, no image of that. And as a matter of fact, if you look at his relationship with Lily when they were kids, what draws him to her is, number one, the fact that she doesn't, that she's she's positive has a positive reaction to him, which doesn't look like anybody else in the world probably did. If you know what the world of kids is like, if you've got a kid walking around wearing the kind of, you know, crazy clothes that he was wearing, he's probably getting mocked and picked on. And so, I mean, f- for him, she was this breath of fresh air in his life. Okay, but he didn't love her. He he isn't capable. I don't believe he is capable of love. And Lily didn't love him. I mean, we're, we're, not, we're not talking about him being loved by Lily. When Rowling says that quote, the one person who loved him was his mother. And so he, unlike Voldemort, had a mother's love. Now, I interpret that, and this is, this is wide open to interpretation, but that, to me, that quote of him being culpable sounds to me like it makes his behavior inexcusable. Whereas Voldemort's also reprehensible behavior has an excusable, sounds like the wrong word to call somebody who does things like that, but it's, it's, it's that little bit of Snape should have known better. That's really what it comes down to. But now, let's go back to this whole idea of of, of Lily thinking that he loves Lil, or excuse me, Snape thinking that he loves Lily, his uh, very unnatural obsession with with this girl. Um, really, the worst, the worst thing, is Dumbledore, and you know, Book Seven was a was a huge Dumbledore revelation anyway, and and for some people it was really hard. They just they, they didn't like the quote unquote new Dumbledore, whereas a lot of people, and I would count myself in this group, thought that was amazing. Just the way that this character turns out to have been so multidimensional and so manipulative and devious and not the good guy that we all thought he was. It was wonderful, wonderful character development because you could go back through the series and realize that it was there all along. You just never noticed because we're seeing everything through Harry's eyes. But think about it. Think about what Dumbledore does here. Um when when he when he talks with snape after the death of lily um and he says um you know her son lives he has her eyes precisely her eyes you remember the shape and color of lily evans eyes i am sure what a horrible thing to say what is he i mean 
he's just just twisting the knife here and he says i wish i were dead and what use would that be to anyone he took him to that point he was already in anguish okay he dumbledore essentially took what was an obsession in life and found a way to twist that into an obsession with a dead person that never never stopped so i mean dumbledore it, it does say said you know dumbledore said coldly if you loved lily evans if you truly loved her then your way forward is clear okay dumbledore's not stupid he knows that snape did not truly love lily he is a good enough judge of character to realize that he is talking to a you know a borderline psychopath crazy person here and he's taking that little nugget of obsession and fanning those flames because he needed him to do something for him and i mean that's that's horrible that is horrible when you think about the way that he does does that and and i think let let's take that 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 twisting and manipulation that's going on from dumbledore and let's look at snape kind of through over the course of the series because he's not a real person okay it's always <laughs> we always have to remember that we're talking about somebody's writing we're talking about somebody rolling who wrote this intentionally in a certain way she created this character it's not he's not real and and this didn't really happen this is a story this is a book so if we're going to step out of our living in harry potter's world which we know we all do but if we step out of that and we look at it as literature look at it as writing okay so what did she do what did rowling do with this character okay this character who spent his entire life being abused and manipulated by those around him except one person who did not do that and that was lily this one pure little light in his life which he had no way of of knowing even how to deal with it correctly but that light is the thing that dumbledore kind of perverts into something which he can use which dumbledore can use so now let's look not at you know a harry transformation from being a superhero into being a champion of love we're going to be looking at snape a little differently let's let's look at let's look at snape first of all in uh philosopher's stone now on the face of it in philosopher's stone snape is a stock character he is he is just the that mean teacher that's all he is and that's all he does he just he walks around and he he's there to be the red herring he's there to divert attention away from what's really going on he's there to be that one mean teacher you know cliche kind of a person it's all there okay however now that we you know we have book 7 we read the prince's tale we kind of can now look at that book 7 book 1 and we can see it with the subtext now of what's really going on we can also look at some other places if we look at you know uh, at what snape says in other places in the books what we've learned about uh, kind of the wizarding world and the status of the wizarding world right after the the um disappearance of uh, voldemort um and what we know at this point at the beginning in 1991 which is the beginning of the story 
The Death Eaters, most of the Death Eaters are either in Azkaban, uh, some are dead, and but a lot of them are just pretending to or really are reformed. So Death Eaters are underground. They still exist, and that's important. Snape is still a Death Eater. And he is assumed by the other Death Eaters to be pretending to be reformed. And he is not the only one. So this is something which a lot of people, I mean, think about Lucius. All these people are pretending to be reformed. And so that doesn't, you know, that that doesn't make him somehow stand out amongst the other ex-Death Eaters. They're all doing that, or a lot of them are. Um, Now, we know that he is working for Dumbledore, but nobody else does. And we do it. We know that he's doing that because he's obsessed with Lily. Okay, but and also I think because kind of like like Peter Pettigrew, he kind of has this psychological need to be part of a group. And uh, in this case, he's he's part of the Order of the Phoenix, which is interesting because he's also you know was part of the Death Eaters and will be again. So if anybody gets to be in groups, he gets to be in two. But um, he does not know that Voldemort is back. And this is important for a number of reasons. I'm, I said I'm writing the, the Reader's Guide to Chamber of Secrets. It's it's important to understand Chamber of Secrets in the context of the fact that nobody knows in Book 1 that Voldemort's involved. I, this was not revealed to people. Snape does not know. Lucius does not know at the beginning of Book 2 that Voldemort is back in some form. He has no idea. This was not revealed. Everybody just thinks that, you know, uh, Quirrell went after the stone. That is what the general understanding is. And Snape does not know any different than anyone else. And so at the beginning of book two, uh, all of the things that we know that happened in book one, he does not know most of that. Um, We find out in another point in the books that Snape, amongst the other Death Eaters, wondered if Harry might turn out to be the next Dark Lord. After all, he defeated the first one. But, um, interestingly enough, Snape's obsession and prejudice from his, from his, all the things that have gone on in his life don't allow him to see the things which actually would have made him a good Dark Lord. Remember, the, the Sorting Hat wanted to put Harry into Slytherin. Why? Because of his skill, his cleverness, his power. He has a lot of these things, these things which are you know, the the good traits for a Slytherin. Snape doesn't even see them, but he has them. I mean, it's really interesting when you start digging into it and thinking about it. Here, Harry could have been a Slytherin. I mean, yes, he, he wanted to be a Gryffindor, but that was, even in book two, the Sorting Hat says, I stand by what I said. You, you'd have done great in Slytherin. Can you imagine if Harry would have been sorted into Slytherin? how this story would have changed. Dumbledore would have been playing the same game. It would have just been through Snape in a different way. But, you know, <laughs> Snape Snape just is in, in, incapable of seeing Harry as anything but James Jr. You know, all he, all he sees is the, the Gryffindor reckness, recklessness and bravado, and, and that is what got Lily killed. And so all he sees is the things in Harry which represent the death of Lily. Okay, He's, he describes him as mediocre, arrogant as his father, a determined rule-breaker, delighted to find himself famous, attention-seeking, and impertinent. And Dumbledore says, You see what you expect to see, Severus. But now notice what it says. You see what you expect to see, Severus, said Dumbledore, without raising his eyes from a copy of Transfiguration today. 
Other teachers report that the boy is modest, likable, and reasonably talented. Personally, I find him an engaging child. Dumbledore turned to Page and said, without looking up, keep an eye on Quirrell, won't you? Now, that strikes me as, number one, okay, Snape's a little out of control. Snape is, is going off on his, you know, I don't like him because he looks like James thing. Okay, that's fine. But Dumbledore has no caring, no feeling, no... He He's just absolutely... It's, it's, it, he has no regard for Snape as a person with feelings except to use those feelings. I mean, he's he's almost has this kind of inhuman aloofness about him. He's just using people so easily... And he, and he wants Snape to keep an eye on Quirrell, so Snape, Snape follows Quirrell, but not because of Voldemort, but just because he thinks Quirrell might be trying to steal the stone. That's it. So in book one, Snape really is a stock character, even with, we know, under the surface, he is you know, helping out um, you know, Dumbledore, but there's nothing to help out with, because Voldemort, as far as he knows, isn't even back yet. So Now, in Chamber of Secrets, we are seeing Snape at his most reserved and and this is actually leading up to his book five, his crucible, his meltdown. But in this point, you gotta think now. Now he's wondering. He's heard what 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 Dumbledore says. He knows that um, that, that the Chamber of Secrets gets opened, and Harry is here. So is there a connection? He you almost get the feeling because he he he's surprisingly supportive. And I know it's like, what? But, hey, he teaches him Expelliarmus, right? He's, he is very, very supportive of 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 Harry all through. And you have to kind of look to see it. But 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 you see it in 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 so many ways. Even even he, he supported him in his story about you know well I uh, uh, you were down in the dungeons. Well you know he could have just been in the wrong place at the wrong time. Really? That's Snape saying that, and I think it's because we know that Snape is at this point kind of keeping his eye on him, wondering. I mean, he finds out that Harry can speak Parseltongue. He thinks that maybe he opened the Chamber of Secrets. He he's not quite sure. He's kind of watching. He he's he's almost looking at what Dumbledore said. It's like, okay, maybe I misjudged. All right, let's see what's what 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 the story is here, and then we get to book three. And when we get to book three, we see Snape at his most despicable. We see this this horrible, horrible Snape. I, you know, I agree. Alan Rickman is the perfect Snape and everything, but I can't quite imagine him playing the scenes at the end of book three. You would think, from what I've been saying, that this is going to be that that moment that this is going to be when everything falls apart this is going to be when when he goes through his crucible and comes out the other side i would say this is one of the two big things that does that if you look at him at the end he is uh he he he's, he lets his his obsession his cruelty his inhumanity take over and that's because all of his hoping if you will in book 2 all of his thinking, maybe, maybe this is Voldemort coming back. Maybe things are going to be different than I thought they were going to be. All of that gets dashed. 
First of all, you've got Lupin there, of course, which sets him on edge. You've got the everything kind of going against him. Lupin is able to undermine his his you know casual cruelty and all this kind of thing. And it gets to that point where where uh, he when in the shri- in the shrieking shack. And again, this did not appear this way in the film. So if you have to remember what the book is like here, I mean, this is this is absolute uncontrolled anger and hatred and i mean think about some of the quotes from there i mean he says uh this is this is when lupin says severus you're making a mistake said lupin urgently you haven't heard everything i can explain sirius is not here to here to kill harry two more for azkaban tonight said snape his eyes now gleaming fanatically i shall be interested to see how dumbledore takes this he was quite convinced you were harmless you know lupin a tame werewolf and then it just keeps going. I mean, this is where Hermione is suggesting, well, you know, maybe, uh, she says, um, uh, he says to her, be quiet, you stupid girl, Snape shouted, looking suddenly quite deranged. Don't talk about what you don't understand. A few sparks shot out of the end of his wand, which was still pointed at Black's face. I mean, think about this. This is, this is Snape. This, this is insanity here. And up to the castle, said Snape silkily. I don't think we need to go that far. All I have to do is call the Dementors once we get out of the willow. They'll be very pleased to see you, Black. Pleased enough to give you a little kiss, I dare say. Okay, seriously. I mean, right after this, it says, There was a mad glint in Snape's eye that Harry had never seen before. He seemed beyond reason. Think about this. He was willing to have somebody... Get have the Dementors kiss. I mean that that, that that right there is just is just crazy that anyone I don't care how crazy you are would think that that was okay. The only problem I guess Fudge does, and he's crazy in another way. But I mean the 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 insanity here. You know, silence! I will not be spoken to like that. Snape shrieked, looking madder than ever, madder as in as in insane. Um, you know, it, it's it's just crazy. And then after the, the the after after Sirius escapes, you know Snape roared, "You can't apparate or disapparate inside the castle." He has this has something to do with Potter, and then uh, it says Snape was beside himself. Out with it, Potter! He bellowed, "What did you do? They helped him escape. I know it." Snape howled, pointing at Harry and Hermione. His face was twisted. Spit was flying from his mouth. Seriously. This man's absolutely crazy. Well, Fudge says so right afterwards. Fellow seems quite unbalanced, said Fudge, staring after him. And then Dumbledore says, Oh, he's not unbalanced, says Dumbledore quietly. He's just suffered a severe disappointment. Now, that is step one. That is step one. Step two is still coming. Because what happens after that is book four. And when you're in book four, okay, Snape has gone over the edge... He has had to collect himself. And book four for him, he is trying to change. He is on the prowl. He wanders around at night trying to catch people at things. He is, he's, he's and we know this now, his, his dark mark is starting to, to get stronger. He knows that Voldemort is coming. He knows that, that, that things are coming to a head. The world is going to change soon. He's not quite sure what it's going to be. And so unlike book two, when he was just kind of watching Harry to see if maybe Harry was going to be the new Dark Lord, now in Goblet of Fire, he knows something is up. 
he suspects everyone he's looking at everyone he's 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 almost behind the scenes sometimes. I mean, other characters and events kind of dominate the story, uh, kind of like the way Lockhart and the Basilisk and everything dominated the book too. But but it, he's always there trying to understand what's going on. But it's almost like Harry is not his focus. He's now trying to learn. He's trying to get knowledge, trying to understand the big the big picture. His nastiness has changed. It's 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 controlled. It's it's really bad. But it's almost casual. He's just casually cruel. I mean, think about the Hermione and her teeth, when her teeth grew so long, and she was just terribly, terribly upset, and Snape looks at her and goes, I see no difference. Uh, and I was, this is a teenage girl, preteen girl. I mean, this is not the kind of thing you're going to say to somebody. You know, this is a huge self-image thing. She's, she's, You know that she's already already, you know, dealt with the fact that she's not, you know, these, these other girls are so cruel and mean to her all the time. And then to see have Snape say something like that. This is just a classic example of what a, what a terrible teacher he is, basically. He shouldn't be around, you know, young people. But um, it's, it's this casualness that really is, is the point. But now, what's coming up is going to be what I think and, and is the turning point. Because at this point, he knows something's coming. I think Dumbledore knows something is coming. There's this sense of of impending, you know... I mean, think about the fact that Harry's name gets put into the Goblet of Fire. And from then on, we all just sort of, okay, Harry's in in the tournament. You know that behind the scenes... Dumbledore and, and, and is wondering, okay, how did that happen? Somebody put it in there. There's a plot going on. What's this plot going to be? How are we going to defeat it? Trying to figure out what it is. Snape is doing that same thing. And yes, he's reporting to, to Dumbledore, but he also is, is, is thinking now, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And what happens is the, 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 the moment, I think, when it changes is when Dumbledore talks to him about Karkaroff and says, well, you know, things are things are changing. Karkaroff, he's probably going to run away. And he says to him, you know, and Snape says, no, I, I'm not going to run away. And Dumbledore says, and this is that line. I think this is the, 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 this is the manipulative line to beat all. He says, you are a braver man by far than Igor Karkaroff. You know... Sometimes I think we sort too soon. He walked away, leaving Snape looking stricken. Why stricken? Because he just hit him so hard. I mean, if it says, a braver man by far, that, that suggests that Snape could have been James. He could have been that Gryffindor James, that, that bravery is a Gryffindor trait. And he caps it off with sort too soon. This is just it's 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 this this cruelty of that. There's no other word for it. It he's keeping Snape on his leash. He's keeping that alive, that that obsession. He's he's why does Snape say always? Because Dumbledore has been been watering and feeding that little, you know, plant inside of Snape, for all these years, he's been keeping that alive. He's been twisting it because he knows that's what keeps Snape working for him. 
that what Snape thinks is love. But this is, I think, the moment where the change happens. In a, in a sort of weird way, it's almost that, that spiritual moment. You know, he had the crazy moment, and now he's having this spiritual moment where he really deep down changes. Because now he's becoming the person that Dumbledore just described him as. The brave one. The one who was sorted too soon. The one who is both Slytherin and Gryffindor. Brave and clever. Um, power without the evil power without the arrogance maybe the one who would have been worthy of Lily because all because of this thing that Dumbledore says this manipulative statement that Dumbledore says and I think that this is that point where Snape at the end of book four he is now a new person he's a new character he's not a new person in a in a particularly good way he's not a not a new person in a you know, turned over his leaf and not going to be sweet to everybody. That's not that's not at all what it is. But in some ways, he's not on Dumbledore's leash anymore. Even though that was what Dumbledore's intention was, in some ways, that freed Snape. Because now, he is going to start becoming this person which he needs to be as the story goes on. Now, we're going to stop right there, uh, and next time when we come back for the episode 16, we'll take over talking about Snape, and we'll take a look at Snape in books uh, 5, 6, and 7. Take him all the way to the end of the series. Um, again, Snape is not good, <laughs> and he is not honorable. He is despicable and horrible. He is not just simply misunderstood, and he's not a person who knows how to love. But uh, he's a person who's been manipulated. But I think we're going to see that he changes to become the person that is not just what you might call Dumbledore's lapdog. He's he's not just that. And that change is, I think, in the middle of book four with that statement by Dumbledore. So uh, we will talk about that when we uh, come back uh, with the next episode. Um, this is uh, uh, kind of an important thing I want to tell everyone. Um, uh, I'd like to announce something. Uh, the lexicon has been around since 2000, uh, and that was when we first started working. I actually, I started it in 1999, and um, uh, when uh, Goblet of Fire came out, uh, kind of expanded it and kind of went live with it, if you will. It was already online, but uh, so 2000 is when we started, and that was 15 years ago. The lexicon was designed in a time when websites were written in HTML, and they were uh, there was none of the kind of um, functionality that you have in websites nowadays. They certainly weren't weren't a responsive design designed to be used on phones and things like this. And so, if you look at the lexicon online, it's very very difficult to use. It's not designed. I mean, I, I, on a phone, for example, if you go to it now online, you're going to find a whole bunch of information. But it's hard for us to update it because, for example. If I want to change, like like Moaning Myrtle's name, we now know that. That's fairly easy to do. I can go into the character section and just change that. The problem is that I have to actually cut and paste text from one place to another place because now we know her last name is Warren, so it goes in the W's, where before it was in the M's. So I'm going to need to change that. When I do that, the links anywhere in the lexicon, and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages, all of those links still link to Moaning Myrtle. 
the M. So I'm going to have to leave an M in there and have that jump to it. Or I can use some tools that I have to kind of go through and change every one of those links to now point to Warren, comma, Myrtle Elizabeth. Well, that's crazy. That's just for one fact. Every time there's a new fact, it might involve three, four, eight, ten different pages that have to be edited. And quite honestly, it's, it's, it's just more work than, than, than can almost be done. Now, granted, that was the way the web worked back in 2000, and so that's fine. That's the way everything was. But now, things don't work that way anymore. And as a result, uh, for the last two years now, I and uh, Nick Moline have been working on a new version of the Lexicon website. Now, it is going to be more than just like a Wikipedia s setup, where you just basically look up things and get a page and, and read information. Because that kind of information is available lots of places. What we're working on is something like that, but with a lot of extra features, things which are going to make the lexicon just a wonderful tool to use, something which is going to be very exciting and interesting and, and full of connections. And um, We are hoping to have the new site become live on November 18 of this year, which will be one year before the premiere of the Fantastic Beasts movie. And so that is our goal, is November 18. In the meantime... Oh, there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes, and I'm starting to add people in as editors who can do some of this kind of work. So if um, you are at all interested or you know anyone who is well-versed in Harry Potter canon, and I'm not talking about the films, but I'm talking about the books, and loves the details and the connections in Rowling's world, um, let me know uh, if you know anybody who would be interested in helping out. Uh, we are certainly interested in getting more people involved because the more people we have involved, uh, the faster this process goes. And November 18 seems like a long ways off, but it's that's a lot of work between now and then. So if you are at all interested in helping out, um, email me at steve at hp-lexicon.org and uh, let me know what you, what you think and if you're interested. Um, you can find me on Google+, Plus, of course, as I said. It's always fun to look there because we have the, um, the collection there going on. I'm also on Facebook and on Twitter, lexicon underscore Steve on Twitter. Um, so if you go to the uh, website, uh, the Lexicon website, and you can click on the page for this podcast, we'll have links to all that stuff there. Um, and also, thank you to those who have done reviews on iTunes. It is really great to get those reviews. For one thing, it feels good to know that people are listening and that they enjoy it. But also, it uh, it really helps um, because it helps other people find it because they're going to more quickly find a, a podcast that has uh, good reviews. So I appreciate those good reviews that I've gotten. Uh, that's about it for this time. We'll be back with the next episode much, much more quickly than the last uh, very long break. Hopefully in the next week or two we'll do uh, episode number 16, and uh, we'll keep talking about Severus Snake. That about wraps it up for now. This is Steve Vanderark of the Harry Potter Lexicon, and thanks for listening. <laughs>